his kingdom. Amen. Praise the Lord. So if you have, if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me this morning to um, James chapter 1. We are in a series of messages from the book of James, and we've entitled this series, Faith That Works. Faith That Works. And this morning, we're in James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. As we continue, we'll finish up um, chapter 1 this morning. And so the Apostle James, he writes to us these words, beginning at verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. For anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Let's pray. So, Father, we ask you to speak to us today, to um, give us understanding um, of your word today and what it is you want to say to us this morning. And, and, and Lord, ultimately, how it is that we can live our lives, that we might honor you and all that you've done for us. And so bless your word, we pray. And in Jesus name, we pray. Amen. And so today, as we look at these verses, I've entitled this morning's message, a faith that leads to a new way of life. A faith that leads to a new way of life. And I said last week, the book of James is not as theological, although there's, some, there's theology spread through it, through it, but it's not as theological as it is practical. It, you know, James is writing to us, we might say, where the rubber meets the road, about how we live our lives. And so as, we, as we've seen, as we go through the book of James, we're asking and answering the question, what does real faith look like? I mean, is it just praying a prayer? Is it getting baptized? Is it signing a card that this is the doctrine I agree with? You see, that's what James is dealing with. What does, real, what does it mean to have real faith, a faith that saves, or we might say a faith that works? And throughout his letter to his scattered flock, Pastor James is driving home the point that if one really has faith, it will affect the way they live. It will be demonstrated. It will be proven by how they live their life. And we said the key verse, the focal point of, of the whole letter, of the whole book, is over in James 2, 26, which we'll get to in a couple of weeks. But James writes, As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds or works is dead. See, again, James is very direct when he says, faith without deeds or works, it's dead, it's useless, it's of no value. In other words, it doesn't save, it doesn't work. He might say to us today, only a faith that works is a faith that works. That's hard for us to wrap our heads around. Only a faith that works is a faith that works. 
And in these verses I, I, I just read here this morning, it's kind of like James gives to us an overview of a number of topics to which he's going to return as he continues his letter. In this section, I think he's trying to get us to begin to think through the heart of what he wants to say to us, what he wanted to get across to his congregation at that time. And we might say he's given to us this overview that we might begin to assess ourselves on a very practical level, our lives, our faith, that we would begin to ask ourselves, does my life truly represent the faith that I claim, that which I say I believe? I say I've been born again. I say that, well, I prayed a prayer and I invited Jesus to come into my heart and the Holy Spirit um, regenerated me. That's what I say. I call myself a Christian. I say I'm born again. But does my life reflect that such has actually happened to me? Now, it's interesting. A number of commentators point out that here in this section, James seems to have like a focus on the word of God, or we might even say the gospel and how it is we respond to it and how it is it plays its part within our lives. And it's important for us to see. Last week, we looked at verse 18, where James writes this. He that is God chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. And so James writes about the new birth that we receive through our faith in the word, through the gospel, our faith in the gospel of Christ. And notice, if you will, this is really important for us, that this new birth was initiated by God who spoke into our world, especially through his son, Jesus Christ. That is, God has made this new birth available to us out of his grace, his mercy, his love. James says he chose, God chose to give us new birth through the word of truth. That is, listen, church, our salvation, our regeneration, it all begins with God. He is the initiator of it all. God did for us what we never could have done for ourselves. Can you say amen to that? Aren't you glad for that this morning? He chose us. He chose to make a way of salvation. He chose to give us an opportunity to be regenerated, to experience new life, and to have the hope of eternal life. He chose. Down in verse 21, James continues to speak about the word when he says to us, get rid of all moral filth and, and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. In other words, James points out that all we need to do is humbly accept this word, the word planted in you. That is our, our part in this work of salvation and regeneration is simply to humbly accept it. We repent of our sin, and then we put our faith in the word of truth. Nowhere does James teach us that we can work our way to salvation, that somehow we can earn our way to salvation, that we can become good enough or religious enough. But all we can do is humbly accept by faith what God has offered to us. And I'm so glad for that, right? I don't have to become better and better and better and better. Right? But God, he chose to speak a word, to make a way of salvation through the gospel. And all I need to do is humbly accept it. And I accept it by faith. But then verse 22, James goes on to say, but do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And this is the key to the whole, this whole section. 
Again, this is what James is getting at throughout his whole letter. For he, wants to make, he wants to make sure that each one of us who calls ourselves a follower of Jesus, that each one of us who say we've accepted the word by faith and thus been born again, that we would understand that our faith must impact the way in which we go on to live our lives. And James would say to us, listen, if if we really have a faith that has brought about the regenerating work of God within our lives, then it will show, it will show, for we will most naturally begin to live our lives in a brand new way. We will not only be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. If we've truly been born again, we will end up living our lives in a very different way, a life that reflects God's word spoken to us. The old word for that is conversion. We've been converted. We've been changed. We once were living our lives like this, but now we're living our lives like this. Listen, I'm, 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 I'm kind of afraid that, that today, especially in many of our churches, there's been such an emphasis on, well, all you need to do is pray the prayer. That people are not being converted. They pray a prayer, I put my faith in Jesus, and, 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 and I receive the hope of heaven, but they go on to live their life the same old way, with all the same old habits, same old attitudes, the same old sin, just, you know, and they don't think anything of it. And we don't think anything of it. James gives an illustration. He says, listen, to live like that is like looking into a mirror and then forgetting what one has just seen. Now, it sounds kind of ludicrous, right? Kind of ridiculous. For can you imagine seeing yourself in a mirror and then forgetting what you look like? I mean, maybe you just brushed your hair. Or maybe you put on your makeup, women. Or men, you just shaved. But then you can't remember what you look like, so you have to go back and look at Wait, did I shave? Did I put on my makeup? Or, you know, what about my hair? And maybe you do it again and again and again. It's just ludicrous. But that's what James says it's like for any one of us to hear the word of God, to claim to accept it as true, but then not to go out and live according to it. It's ludicrous, for obviously it's had little to no impact upon us. You see, the word of God is meant to have an impact upon us, is it not? The gospel is to have an impact upon us. In verse 25, he says, but this is the way it ought to be. He says this, that, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, he's speaking about the word and the gospel, and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Notice he talks about looking intently at the word, at the gospel. There's bending over, getting a close look at it. We're examining it, and there's a place for us. Is there not for us to look intently at God's word, to study it, to get to know it, to really understand what the gospel is about? Right? That's why we have classes like we do, right? teaching like we do. We have to look intently. We need to understand what this gospel is, what the word of God says to us. He goes on to talk about continuing in it, abiding in it, staying in it, not just a one-shot deal, not, not, not forgetting it, but the gospel becomes the focal point, becomes the foundation upon which we build our lives. So we put our faith in it and we say, this is going to be my foundation. This is what's going to determine how I live. And then we go on to do it. And this is the real point that, again, that James is getting at. This is the effect the word of God, the gospel, is supposed to have upon us. 
That as we get to know the word and we put our faith in it and we say we believe it, we believe this gospel, we believe this word, it's supposed to impact our lives in the way we live. And if we don't get to this point, James says, listen, something's wrong. Jesus himself said in Luke eleven twenty eight, 28, blessed are those who hear the word of God and what? Keep it. Blessed are those, not just because you heard it or claim you believe it, but you keep it. Lots of people hear it. Lots of people claim to believe it. But the question is, do they keep it? You remember Jesus told a story of, of a building of a house, and he said, everyone who comes to me and hears my word and does them, hears my words and does them, I will show you what he's like. And he talks about the one who hears the word and, 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 and does it. He says, it's like a man who built his house on a rock, on a solid foundation. And that house then is able to stand through the storms that come its way. There's a solid foundation. But he says, Jesus says, the one who fails to live it out, who fails to do, to obey, that word, that man is like the the man who builds his house on the sand without a solid foundation. And that house cannot stand the storms of life. And why does Jesus say this? I think because, as James would point out, the person who only hears the word but doesn't live it out really doesn't have the faith needed to stand the tests and storms of life. And thus his house of so-called faith and religion, it fails and it falls during the difficult times of life. Or as we saw last week, James says, blessed is one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that, that person will receive the crown of life. How many of us know, as we talked about the past couple of weeks, there's all kinds of trials and testings that come into our lives that will test our faith, test what it is we believe See, real faith, a faith that works, is a faith that not only claims to believe God's word, but one that lives it out. It's a faith that not only claims that to, to, to be born again, but it goes on to live life in a brand new way. And then in this section, James describes for us some of what this looks like. And I don't think what we're reading here is his exhaustive list, but he's highlighting some things for us regarding what it looks like for a person who's truly been born again, who has a real faith, a faith that works, what it begins to look like in their life because their life is different. Their life is different. When you're born again, when I'm born again, my life, your life, we're, we're just different from the way we were. We're different from those who have not put their faith in God's word and in the gospel. Amen? That's the way it's supposed to be. Verses 19 and 20, he highlights that real faith affects the way we respond. That is, those who've been truly born again respond to others, to their world, to the situations of life differently than those who are not of faith. For notice James' James words here. He, He talks about being slow to speak. Slow to speak. That is, they're careful of what comes out of their mouth. They're careful of reckless words. They are thoughtful about what they say. You see, we all know that when we find ourselves in difficult situations or in conflict, it's so easy for us to mouth off, isn't it? Right? We just mouth off. And we can end up saying things that we wish we could take back, but we all know words cannot be retrieved once spoken. James says, listen, those who've been born again, they, they, they've been, they're slow to speak. Proverbs 10, 19, and, and James ties in a lot to the book of Proverbs. But 
Proverbs 10.19 says it's when words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Proverbs 17.27, whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and I love this, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. A cool spirit, not easily rattled, right? Or slow to speak. And quick to listen, James says. One person wrote, listening is the first duty of discipleship. And most of us know how hard it is to be a good listener. Right now, you're kind of listening to me, but your mind is going somewhere else a lot of the time, right? You're thinking about, well, this is what I would like to say. And most of us know it's hard, but especially when we find ourselves in conflict or in a difficult situation, the other person is saying what they want to say, and we're thinking about our answer. We're thinking about our opinion, but we're not listening. We all know that listening is a skill, but more than that, learning to listen is something that the Holy Spirit does in our lives right when we're born again, that we're not so quick to react, we're not so quick to speak, but we listen. What's on that person's heart? What's going on? What am I not understanding? Because ultimately then, we're slow to become angry. And the truth is, we all like to make excuses for our anger, don't we? Well, I have a right to be angry. What about righteous anger? But we all know that most of the time, our anger is not righteous, but merely an explosion of our emotions when we're upset. James says, human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. That is, our anger does not bring about the the, the kind of right living that God wants out of our lives. And I wonder how many Christians today, so-called Christians, are living with anger. They're angry at their spouses, at their neighbor, at the pastor, at the politician, and so forth. The list goes on and on. Proverbs 16.32 says this, whoever is slow to anger, the same words, is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. See, living out our faith means being very careful how we respond to the people around us and the situations we find ourselves in. Rather than spouting off about this and that and going on a verbal attack, we hold our tongues. We're careful what we post online, right? We listen to those around us. and We keep our emotions in check. Because we've been born again. The Holy Spirit's at work in us, and we just don't react in, an, in a human way, in a natural way. But we allow the Holy Spirit to help us through those times. Real faith affects how it is we respond. And tied to that, in verse 26, real faith affects the words that we speak. That is how we use our tongues. That it's not only about being slow to speak, but about what actually comes out of our mouths when we do open them, Right? James is going to come back to this in more detail later on, but here at this point, he says this. He speaks about keeping a tight rein on their tongue. How many of you have have ever ridden a horse? A few of us here. Man, last week I asked how many have ever climbed a mountain. Like almost nobody raised their hands. And then I asked how many went a a skyscraper. Everybody raised their hands, right? (laughs) Well, we got a few more who've ridden horses, right? And if, if you've ever been on a horse, you know what it's like. They have the bridle around the... The, the nose of the horse, and then the reins that are there, right? And, um, you know, it's, it's with that bridle and the reins that the horse is kept under control to make it go, to make it turn, to make it stop. I mean, I've only ridden a horse a few times. I'm not that comfortable on top of a horse, you know? But um, 
But you know, like I, I understand that bridle is meant to keep that horse under control. And the thought is that our tongues need to be bridled. They need to be brought under control. We have to ask ourselves, is my tongue under control? Or do I say things I shouldn't be saying? Do I, do I speak words that are hurtful? Do I just kind of, like we said before, mouth off? And James says this, listen, if, if a person says they have faith, but their tongue is not under control, he says they deceive themselves. They deceive themselves. They're just deceiving themselves into thinking everything is okay between them and God when in truth their claim to faith just may be a fallacy or a fraud or some kind of deception. We have to ask ourselves, right, if, if, our, if our tongues are not under control in some way, we have to ask ourselves, have I really been born again? If I'm still talking the same way I was before I came to know Jesus, right, have I really been born again? Do I really have faith in, 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 in the person of Jesus and what the, the power of the Holy Spirit is able to do in my life? See, James is saying, listen, you've got to ask yourself these questions. And he goes on to say, not only do you, see, do you deceive yourself, but your religion is worthless. That is, all of, all of our acts of worship, of prayer, of giving, of service, and so forth, it's all worthless. It's of no value. It's all in vain. Listen, I'm not making this up, church. This is what, what the Apostle James in God's Word is saying to us. That the person who's truly born again has had their tongue brought under control. They just don't say whatever comes to their mind. And most especially, they use their tongue to build up and not to tear down. Again, Proverbs 21.23 says this, Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. Oh boy, we could use that one, huh? But the Apostle Paul put it this way, Colossians 4. 4.6, let your speech always be gracious. See, now he's talking from a more positive side. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Hmm. Gracious speech. I don't find too many people in life who are gracious in their speech, do you? But if the Holy Spirit's at work in my life, he's going to teach me what that means. He's going to change my tongue, right? Not, the Bible talks about coarse joking, rudeness, and all of that. No, you know what? We learn what it means. Our tongue is changed. It's, 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 it comes under control. It's bridled, right? And, and we become gracious in our speech. Well, James is going to come back to all of that in chapter 3. But as we go on here, Verse 27, he would say to us, and real faith affects how we respond to those in need. He says, verse 27, this religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. Right? Notice James' words, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. And he first, first of all says to look after the orphans and widows. In other words, God is not, first of all, looking at how many times a week we attend church or how loud we worship or pray or how many religious things we do or how many spiritual experiences we have. But rather, God is looking, first of all, at how we respond to those in need. And in James' day, those who were especially in need were found among the orphans and the widows. Why? Because they were those who had no one to care for them. 
No parents. The widow had no husband to supply for them. You see, those who've been born again, those who have real faith, they cannot pass by those in need. They can't just walk by them without their hearts being touched, without being moved with compassion, without sensing that they need to do something. In the end, it's all about having the heart of God for people in need. You know, I've been born again. My heart has been changed. No longer am I just grabbing things for myself. But, but when I see those in need, I have to release. I have to be generous. My heart is stirred. In fact, Psalm 68.5 says, Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. That's, it. That's an incredible description of God, is it not? Father of the fatherless and protector of widows. And James' point is simply this, that none of our religious acts means anything to God if it's not backed up by acts of compassion and mercy and love, that just as God has been merciful and generous towards us, so he expects that we, if we have truly been transformed by his grace, that we would be merciful and generous towards those around us. That's a faith that works. And finally, this morning, at the end of that same verse, he says this, that religion that our God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, he goes on to say, to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And in this case, the world doesn't refer to people of the world as much as it refers to the systems of this world that have become dominated by sin and evil. It is that realm that Jesus says that Satan is the prince of this world, right? Now, he's not king. He's not king, but he's prince, at least for the time being. And the world refers to that sphere that is void of God's standard of morality, that which is right and wrong. And sometimes we act like, oh, we're so shocked, like the world tends towards sin and immorality. And, you know, but the Bible says, well, yeah, that's the world. That's the world. And when James writes to keep oneself from being polluted by the world, he's speaking about keeping oneself morally pure according to God's standard. In fact, the word there, it's one word in Greek, which means they're un you're unstained, you're unblemished, or you're spotless. Now, listen carefully, church. Okay, this is important. That when we come to God through faith in Christ, we all come covered by all kinds of stains, do we not? We're wearing garments that are, that are covered with the stain of our sin, right? That's how we come to God. But thankfully, by the mercy of God, the blood of Jesus wipes away every stain, right? We are made clean. We are completely cleansed. Our filthy garments are made completely clean. The work of God through Christ is to clean us up completely that we might stand righteous before God, something, again, we can never do for ourselves, we just can't do that. But God does it for us through Christ. But then, we then enter back into the world that is polluted by all kinds of immorality and sin. And the question becomes this. Will we, after having experienced the mercy and the grace of God through faith, will we allow ourselves to be restained by the world in which we live? 
Will we give into the world and allow ourselves to once again live by its corrupt, godless values and its standards of morality? It doesn't mean we never fall, we never fail, we never sin again. No, the Bible says, you know, it understands that, yes, we will mess up at times. And so if we confess our sins, he's faithful, he's just to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. But the thought here is that God cleans us up through the blood of Christ, and then we go back and we just begin to live with the world again, just like they live, taking on their values and their, 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 their ways. So will we allow ourselves to be reinfected, or will we do all that we must do to, to keep ourselves from being reinfected? by the sin that's all around us? Will we, when necessary, as Jesus said, cut out the eye, cut off the hand, unplug the computer? Well, Jesus didn't talk about computers, you know? Or refuse to accept the new standard? Will we do what we need to do in order to keep ourselves pure and holy before God as we honor what he's done in our lives? See, we do it not because of a religious mandate that's come down to us from a board of elders or a denominational headquarters, but because we believe so deeply in who God is, what Christ has accomplished for us through his life, his death, his resurrection. We believe so deeply in the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives that we refuse to give ourselves back over to the systems and the ways of this world. We've been born again. We've been born again to the point that our lives have been made new and we're not going back. Come on, church. He's worked in our lives, and we're not going back. He's rescued us from darkness. Why in the world do we want to go back? Would we want to go back to the darkness when he's brought us into his marvelous light? Romans 13, 12 says this, the night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Where Paul wrote to the Ephesians in Ephesians 4, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Listen, James says that religion that God our Father accepts is this, that you keep yourself from being polluted. You say, you know what? I'm not going back, but I'm going to live the way God has called me to live. I'm not going back to the darkness, but I'm going to live in the light. That's what it means to be born again, to have real faith in what God's done for you. God has done so much. I believe it. He's chosen me. He sent his son to, to rescue me. He sent his son to wash me clean, to make me clean. He's given to me the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe it. I believe it. I believe it. And so you know what? I'm not going back, but I'm going to live in the transforming power of God day after day. As I was reading all of this and studying for today, my mind went to Isaiah 58. Isaiah 58. I'll ask Luciano if he'll come as we move to conclude our message this morning. But the people there were complaining to God that they were, they had been so religious. They've been doing all the right religious things, including fasting. And they're complaining to God because they're not getting answers to their prayers, they're not being blessed. And they say, beginning of verse 3, why have we fasted, they say, and you've not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you've not noticed? Yet and God says, well, why? 
yeah, you fasted and you went through all this religious ritual. You can read it all here. You've done all the right things on the outside, but he says, yet on your day of fasting, you do as you please and exploit your workers. James talks about that as we move on. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I've chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed or lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? He goes on to say, is not this the kind of fasting I've chosen? Listen to what he says. This is what he's looking for. Not that it's wrong to fast, to put aside food or whatever it is, the purpose of seeking God. But the Lord's saying, listen, but if it's not all backed up with the way you're living, then it's meaningless. And he goes on to say this, is this not the kind of fasting I've chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. Here am I. In other words, church, none of our Religious acts, including prayer and fasting, mean anything to God unless they're backed up by a lifestyle that represents who God is and what he's done in our lives. James reminds us that the kind of faith that God's looking for, the kind of life that God can bless, is found in those who take what they say they believe and they put it into action. Theirs is a faith that leads to a whole new way of living, a life that demonstrates that, yes, they have been truly born again. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. And so today, you know what? I just sense, like, like we need to ask the Holy Spirit to help us assess ourselves. This isn't about me pointing out what's wrong in your life and you pointing out what's wrong in my life. This is about us opening up our hearts to the Lord saying, God, God, create in me a new heart. Change my heart, whatever it is you need to do. For if we call ourselves people of faith, followers of Jesus, those who've been born again, our lives ought to show it. We ought to be people who are living our lives in a brand new way. And if we find ourselves falling short, if we find ourselves back in the old stuff, it's time for us to come back to the Lord and ask him. Ask him to once again come back into our lives by the power of his spirit to cleanse us, to change us, to make us new, to empower us to live in a brand new way. We say, you know what? I'm not going to live my life in darkness. I'm not going to allow myself to, be, to, to speak like the rest of the world around me, to think like the rest of the world. I'm not going to allow myself to go back to old ways. I'm going to live by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to live according to the work of God. That which he has done in my life, he's cleansed me of every sin. He's transformed me. Again, old things pass away. All things become new. I'm going to live according to the newness of life. And when I find myself falling or failing, I go back to him. And I say, God, I need you. I need you to help me. I have not been slow to speak and quick to listen. I have not kept my anger under control. I've not been compassionate. 
or whatever it is. But God, I'm asking for you to come, renew my mind, restore my heart, regenerate me from the inside out in every way. Come on, church, bow your heads right now in prayer. Bow your heads in prayer. Maybe you're here today or you're online with us. And I just spoke about the way God initiated this work of salvation and regeneration. He sent his son, Jesus, that we might have the stains of sin, the the stains on our garments completely washed away and that we would be able to live a brand new life without that stain. It all begins with a step of faith. Saying, I put my faith in what God has offered to me through his mercy and love. And I put my faith in the work that Jesus Christ has done through his life, his death, his resurrection. And if you're here this morning, either online or in this sanctuary, and you've not yet taken that step of faith, that's the first thing you need to do. And if you will just pray a prayer this morning, I'll lead you in just a moment. We're just saying, God, forgive me of my sin. Make my life new. I put my faith in who Jesus is. If you mean that with your heart, with sincerity of heart, the Lord will come by his Holy Spirit. He'll begin to clean you up. He'll apply the work of Christ to your life. And he will, he, he will regenerate you. He will make you new. And then he'll challenge you to go and live according to that newness of life. If you're here this morning, you need to take that step of faith. I just want to lead you in prayer. But as well, if you're here today and you know you've called yourself a Christian, you've been touting that you've been born again, but you know your life has not represented it. And today, today, I just want to encourage you to ask the Lord to show you what you need to do and ask for the help of the Holy Spirit. Say to the Lord, Lord, I'm, I'm not just going to be a hearer of the word. I'm going to be a doer. I want to live the way you've called me to live that your light would shine brightly through my life. Father, right now, I pray for your people. I pray for maybe someone today here in the sanctuary. And as I pray, if that's you, you're in the sanctuary, you, 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 you want to take that step of faith for the first time, just, just lift a hand to the Lord. Maybe you're online and you'll, you'll, you'll fill out a, a, a card or send in an email or a text message later on. But I want to pray for you. Father, I pray for those today who are taking that first step of faith that you would minister to them according to your grace, your mercy, your love, the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and the power of your Holy Spirit. Would you touch them today, God? Would you begin to renew them, restore them, wipe away every stain of sin? Give them that new garment, that garment that's clean. Give them newness of life. Take them from darkness and bring them into your marvelous light today we pray in Jesus name in Jesus name and let them know that today they can be called a child of the most high God and Lord that you would by your spirit empower them and as you would the rest of us here today empower us to live according to the work that you've done in our lives God we don't want our lives to be a sham we don't want our lives to just be words we want our lives to honor you to glorify you to represent the faith that we claim to have to represent all that you have offered to us all that you've done for us God we pray that you would forgive us for the times when we've allowed ourselves back into darkness but God today we give ourselves anew to you to live as your people to represent who you are, your heart, God, your grace, your mercy, your generosity. 
Lord, teach us. Teach us today what it means to live as your people. And help us. Help us because we need your help. The power of your Holy Spirit at work within us. We thank you in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Come on, church. Just stand to your feet. Just lift your hands to the Lord. Come on, just thank him for his work in your life. Even as you maybe pray your own prayer of dedication today. And say, God, here's my life. I want to live for you. I want to honor you in all that I do. In all that I do, whether I'm at home or in my office or in, in, in the supermarket. God, I don't want people to, to just hear words. I want them to see a life that shines for you, that represents who you are, that represents the work of Christ and the ministry of your Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.